Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Our reading today is from 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not loading it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I wonder if I asked you to name a leader you admire, who comes to mind? Perhaps there's someone in the public eye? Perhaps there's someone more behind the scenes that not very many people know their name. I wonder what it is about them that you admire. And if I was more specific and asked you about a leader within the church, I wonder if it would be a different person, different things that you admire. I think of a man who encouraged me into ministry. Brian and Carolyn Carter, with their four children, had worked for many years remotely with Bush Church Aid uh, before moving to a whole different culture in Canberra. An unassuming bloke, in the 80s, Brian had black-rimmed glasses, you know, those thicker sort of glasses. His hair slicked back with brill cream He wore shorts, long socks, and sandals. I hear that's coming back in. (laughs) But Brian, he was a complete dork. But Brian loved Jesus. And he loved God's word. And he loved God's church. He preached faithfully, prayed daily, and sought to know every member of the church. I was 19 and the part-time youth worker, and the other two youth leaders and I would meet with Brian at 6.30 a.m. every Wednesday to pray, huddled around the heater in the cold Canberra winter. We'd pray for each person under our care by name. We'd pray for their families, we pray for ourselves. Brian's humble, loving perseverance has always been an example to me. So I wonder who the Christian leaders God has used in your life. Maybe a pastor or a Sunday school teacher, maybe an older woman who's encouraged you when you've had conversations or prayed with you, prayed for you. Maybe a teenager who's inspired you as you see the way they serve others. 
What was it about them that's been an example? When my husband Andrew and I began in ministry, we knew church leaders who, unlike Brian, over the years had lost their spark for Jesus. They'd become negative, cynical and worn out. And in our early 20s, we resolved with God's help not to be like that. We wanted to finish still loving the Lord, loving each other, married, and still eager to serve him. So we put various things in place to to try with his help to avoid it. And more than 30 years on, we're still practicing those things. One of them is to regularly read the passage that we've just heard today, just these four verses. So today I'm inviting you into my reflection. As I do that for myself, I'm inviting you to do that for yourselves as well. And I'm going to point out, there are a number of reminders, I'm going to point out just three things that are really good for us to keep reminding ourselves about, about what we're called to and about examining our motives. Last Wednesday, Andrew Malone opened 1 Peter 2 with us. He encouraged us to see that like Peter's Gentile readers, we're invited to be God's showpiece. We're given a new family identity as God's people. Our everyday lives and words are to declare the praises of God so that others see through us what pleases God. The readers of 1 Peter were facing harassment and hostility from their Greek and Roman neighbours. Let's keep in mind that just as there are in many other cultures, there were strong dynamics in Roman society. Honour, status, power was tied to your place in the social hierarchy. Shame and humiliation had a significant impact on your family, your career and your social standing. This wasn't just about being embarrassed or feeling uncomfortable. It had a whole lot of other ramifications. So no wonder Peter wants to encourage the church leaders. Who on earth would want to be a church elder in that situation? In the midst of opposition, who wants to put their hand up to be you know, one of the front runner guys? Chapter five, verse one. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Peter's continuing the theme throughout the letter of suffering now and glory later. A life following Jesus means a life following in his footsteps. Suffering for Christ is something to be expected. Why are we surprised when it happens? Notice too the example of humility as this great apostle identifies himself with these small church leaders as a fellow elder, he says. And he urges the elders in verse 2, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them or serving as overseers. This is one of the reminders I take away. Oh, Peter's thinking about a particular group of church leaders. I want to suggest that the essential principles can be applied to all Christian leadership. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. I wonder who you care for. 
under God. Maybe a whole church, maybe a youth group, some children, a small group, other leaders. Be shepherds. What comes to mind when you think of being shepherds? In the book, Misreading Scripture with Individualist Eyes, which I highly recommend, the writer recalls being in a taxi going through the poor area of a town in the Middle East. He says the taxi driver was notably upset with what they could see around them. He said to the driver, are you okay? The driver pointed at all the run-down houses and said, our shepherds are slaughtering us while they grow fat. He didn't need to explain more than that. The metaphor is really common in Middle Eastern cultures. Leaders or patrons, that's a whole other conversation, are to be like shepherds, providing and caring for and protecting their sheep. It's a relational metaphor that carries a depth and complexity of meaning that perhaps we can, we can lose a bit by not understanding that. God uses the shepherding metaphor with Israel's leaders. Through his prophet Ezekiel, he calls them terrible shepherds who only take care of themselves. Ezekiel 34, 4. You haven't taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You've not gone looking for those who've wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep, my sheep, the Lord says, have been scattered without a shepherd. But of course, the good news a little further in the chapter is that the Lord himself promises to come as a shepherd, to save his sheep, to search, rescue them, to feed them, to protect them, to bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. Ezekiel 34 finishes with a metaphor the taxi driver would have understood. Then they will know that I, the Lord, am with them and that they, the people of Israel, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God declares the Sovereign Lord. Jesus claims the position of Sovereign Lord when he describes himself as the Good Shepherd. John 10. But he also says he's not just the shepherd of the people of Israel. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. There shall be one flock and one shepherd. Peter would have had all of this in mind when he wrote his letter. And he probably also had some other words that you might have already thought of, some Jesus' restorative words to him. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep or shepherd my sheep. 
Shepherding God's flock flows out of loving Jesus. It's our response to him as the shepherd and overseer of our souls, as Peter describes him in chapter 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them. The reminder, this is God's flock. We are simply his under-shepherds, entrusted by him to care for and watch over his people. What an important reminder for us, for all of us who have people entrusted to us. These are God's people who he loves, who he calls by name. It's not our church. It's not our congregation. This is God's church. This is God's people. And he's entrusted these precious people to our care. That's not to be taken lightly. Andrew and I found this reminder really timely over many, many years. Sheep can be annoying. Yep. They don't always listen. They can be demanding. No matter how much you feed them, they want more. They go off track and do silly things. I can think of many instances when somebody's pulled out of something at the last minute, or Anne's angry because the church fridge hasn't been cleaned out in a while, or the toy cupboard's messy, or there aren't enough people for the flower roster, or Bill really shouldn't sing so loud. Little examples, but those little examples are the things that can wear us down. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care. The first reminder. These are God's people. And I can be just as annoying as any other sheep. I hurt and struggle and rebel. I need Jesus to be my shepherd and overseer just as much as anyone else does. I need his care, his rescue and his guidance. is to examine our motives. How are we to be shepherds of God's flock? Chapter 5, verse 3. In this little one. On. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Not because you must, other translations say, not under compulsion or not grudgingly, but willingly. This would have been an important reminder for the elders Peter's addressing, who probably faced hostility, increased hostility from those around them. And it's an important reminder for those in cultures where church leaders are appointed and you can't really say no, rather than people who volunteer. But it's also an important reminder for us in an individualistic, consumerist, pleasure-seeking society. Late one night, I found myself sitting in a gutter in Greensboro with one of the youth, yet again, complaining loudly about how his mum didn't understand him and his teachers don't understand him and no one cared and why doesn't someone just listen to him as I sat there in the gutter with him. He wanted to shake him. Each girl in me felt for him. 
And the tired mum part of me just wanted to be home in bed. <laughs> so we need to use the gifts that God has given to serve others. But a cross-shaped life also means serving where it's needed. Cleaning the bathrooms. Dealing with compliance paperwork. Looking out for the people standing by themselves. Again, small illustrations, although the compliance paperwork might not feel like that, but small illustrations, but actually it's often the small things that wear us down. They're the small things that can build our resentment. And if that creeps in, then we need to preach the gospel to ourselves again. Sometimes Andrew and I have said, do you need to go and look at that room of many mirrors, you know, and have a good long look at yourself with God? Not because you must, but because you are willing. This also guided how we sought to encourage others to use their gifts. There is no room for guilt ministry in the church. I'd rather have the kids in church, in the service, than people running Sunday school because no one else will do it. I'd rather have no flowers because no one else will do it. I'd rather use YouTube for music than have musicians who felt their arms had been twisted into playing. We can serve willingly when we remember who it is that we serve and whose people we are serving. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. And although the focus here is monetary, I quite like the way the New Living Translation puts it, not for what you'll get out of it. Or another translation says, not for sordid gain. Not for what you'll get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. In some situations, money is a real issue. And for some people, money is a real issue. But we can all be motivated by different things, can't we? Money, prestige, status, respect, control, acceptance, feeling needed. When I worked at St Jude's, I had a service leader come and tell me that they wanted to get off the roster for a while of leading services. And the reason that she gave me was that she realised she liked it too much. She liked the attention that it gave her. And she needed time to work that through with God. Stayed with me. This is a really sneaky one because we have deceitful hearts and what can look like serving others, we're always mixed motives, aren't we? Can also be about serving ourselves. And we need to be honest about that and ask the Lord to help us to recognize that. If someone asks me uh, what I do at St Andrews Hall or where I work, why would I say I'm on the teaching team rather than just I'm on the team? going on in my heart. If I over-prepare for a sermon at Ridley Chapel, going on in my heart. What might you be tempted to get out of being a shepherd of God's people? Finally, not lording it over or domineering those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. 
Unfortunately, domineering isn't just found in other workplaces, it's also found in the church. We need to examine ourselves and ask if we think that we're better than those we're serving. Do we think they owe us? Are we manipulative or bossy? Do we deliberately ask the people who we know find it hard to say no? Or are we, with God's help, seeking to be examples? Serve God's people as his under-shepherds and we need to examine our motives. The third reminder helps us to help us stay fresh in ministry is verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. The Lord Jesus Christ is the supreme ruler over God's flock. We serve out of relationship with him. My love for Jesus must be greater than my love for the ministry that I have. I've met people who've said, uh, I want to go and serve the Lord and, um, and, I've, and, and it must be in this place. This is where I need to go. Now, maybe God has given them a passion for that and he's given them a heart and he's prepared them and that's where he's going, they're going to serve. But actually, are our eyes focused on serving him or the particular ministry or the particular place? My relationship with Jesus that shapes the way I care for his people. Peter encourages the elders. The cost of leadership might be considerable, but the rewards are amazing. We're to have a future perspective in mind. Just as we share in Christ's sufferings now, we will share in his glory for eternity. Loving God of all grace, thank you that you showed us the depth of your love by laying down your life for us. By your spirit, help us to examine our hearts. Reveal our sin so that we might bring it to you in repentance. Give us, cleanse us, and change us. We need your help. As we follow your example, help us to serve in humility, with love, joy, and the strength that you provide. And may it all be for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.